Good morning, folks. Uh, this is Harold Jarbo, AKA the Old Hemp Farmer. And I'm sitting here, John, with Mark Stepp of Uppercut Media and Abby McCull of Tennessee Homegrown. And this morning's topic is cannabis, media, and marketing. And we started off talking about cannabis TV programs and how, although people love weed, they don't seem to really love weed television programs. Mark, you do a heck of a lot of content. I mean, that's what your, your thing is, is providing, you know, primetime content for TV. Why do you think that's the case? Outside looking in, because I haven't seen a lot of the programmings that is centered around cannabis, uh, probably the one I've seen the most of was Bong Appetit. I, I did enjoy that show, but it was essentially a cooking show um, with weed as the backdrop and as a major ingredient in whatever they cooked. It was a very socially, culturally aware show as well. I feel like a lot of these shows, at the end of the day, the cannabis business is really still an agricultural business. So making an agricultural business be an entertaining and engaging show unless you're an agriculturalist, I think can be quite challenging. So therefore you take a Jim Belushi approach and he was probably trying to make it comedic or entertaining from his point of view. I haven't seen it, so I can't say anything. I don't know how long that would hold water. Abby, did you see Growing Belushi? I did not. I did see a preview though, and it seemed like they were, like uh, Mark said, trying to make agriculture to be like this comedic series it almost reminded me of duck dynasty um <laughs> where they make the the duck calls but with cannabis and i feel like that they kind of thought cannabis would make it to be popular but it just it it didn't i'll say this if there was a show that had ducks getting high i would watch that oh yeah. hell yeah def definitely well <laughs> this all i think started out with the discovery thing had one program back in 2013 called uh what the hell was that weed country and basically they were trying to do the same thing they did with my moonshiners and tried to do it with weed but the characters weren't that strong and the premise and it once again it didn't last long i think uh the two programs that have done the best and uh step you mentioned it it had a two-year run was was bong appetit on the Vice channel, we'll give them a, a shout out. And then Weedicate. Both those pro programs had actually two year lifespan, which in television's a halfway decent lifespan. I mean- What, what was the premise of Weedicate? Basically, it was this guy who loved weed and he went around to people who grew it, sold it, loved it, consumed it. And he had a passion for it. He went to a couple places like Columbia and places like that and sought out people at grow. But he was one thing, you know, when it comes to reality TV, he was an engaging personality. Which, so this was a little Anthony Bourdain-ish for the weed business. It, exactly. You nailed it. And because of that and the personality, it worked. Uh, and then, you know, you had things right now, I think, oh my gosh, uh, over on one of the minor channels, there's so many they've got uh, cooked with cannabis, which is basically another Iron Chef with cannabis. And you know, if you win, you get ten thousand bucks, and that's actually 
going on right now. The numbers aren't that big, but you know, trying to move into a niche market and it's like, how can you do that? I mean, all right, you guys are all in the cannabis business. What would compel you to watch a program on cannabis? I think anything that would be really either driven by a compelling host, as you say, for Weedicut, or also really promoted the this current social culture built around cannabis as opposed to the taboo culture that's built around cannabis might be interesting to me and might have some longevity. Again, personal opinion. Abby? I mean, I'm, I'm with Mark on the relativity, like the cooking show would definitely be something I would want to watch because then I could actually do it at home, right? You know, the reason that these other series like uh, Growing Belushi and, um, you know, all the other ones, I'm looking at like five weed shows, Disjointed, High Maintenance Cooking, Broad City, Murder Mountain, all of these are the top cannabis shows that I have no idea about, but their covers just look like people smoking out of pipes drawn by somebody in Portland, Oregon. Like it, it doesn't compel me to want to watch it. So the cooking seems like the most realistic one that I would want to see. I watched uh, Murder Mountain. It was incredible because one thing that it did that I wasn't even aware of was it really told the history of marijuana in the States, how it got here, who was responsible for it, how it all got going up in that area as far as growing. Now, illegal import, obviously, that's a whole nother story. But it was based around the story of a lot of people who disappeared over the years during that time of culture. But what I took away from that was it really captured the culture of the moment, and it was historical, so that was very fascinating. It also became current with the current marijuana laws in the states and how it's affecting that area. See, that's fascinating. That's something I would watch. Which leads me to a thought here. If and when cannabis becomes mainstream, is the whole thing that people watch these shows that it was outlaw tinged? If it becomes run of the mill, is the interest still there? I don't think it will be. Yeah, and that's what I'm starting to think is that weed was cool when it was outlaw, but when it's mainstream, it's kind of boring. There's very few shows on distilling spirits. Correct. As far as, far as it's mainstream. The only one that had any success was what you brought up earlier, Jarbo, which was Moonshiners, which was totally based on illegal outlaw activity. So there's no like, you know, I'm, I'm a bourbon connoisseur, but I don't watch any television programs based on the social aspects and here's culinary stuff with bourbon. I, can, I pick up a recipe every once in a while for a cocktail or something to cook with, but it's never going to get more than five minutes of my attention. So basically, growing Belushi was doomed from the outset. It, it, wasn't that set in Arizona, too? No, in Oregon. Oh, there, there, there's yeah. the problem. <laughs> I mean, they tried to make it reality TV. It doesn't work with cannabis. It was, it was trying to be reality TV. Well, but that was the whole thing. They had one foot in both worlds. They were going to show that, you know, they were trying to seriously grow cannabis as a business. And then you had Jim Belushi doing a, like a little so, soft song and dance thing. 
is his cannabis business successful? I think it is. Okay. But that, but that's the whole the whole thing is if you came in there, everything was tight. Everything you know had, went the way a well business, a well run business should be. It's not good reality TV. But for lack of a better term, I would guess they were just kind of dicking around with it. If his business is going mm -hmm. fine. They probably had some funding and time, and his, you know, he's an entertainer, a part yeah. actor. So he probably sat there and said, "Let's see if we can make a show." Well, no. Well, that segues, and the reason I did this is to segue into the second part of this. It seems to me that the whole premise about growing Belushi was to try to be a marketing vehicle. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And because that that is now, this is the one thing that cannabis has now found out that back when it was illicit, uh, it kind of sold itself because it, it wasn't every place. I mean, you know, you had your guy or your girl who you could call up and, and they had maybe one, two, three types. The quality may or may not have been there, but the seller always knew that there was going to be a ready buyer. So now here we are creeping into 2021 and once cannabis now, cannabis is mainstream. 15 states, it's legal. 38, 39, medical. So in that world now, it's no longer a seller's market. It's a buyer's market. How do you sell this stuff? What I see in general um, perusing online is a lot of the newer dispensaries or stores seem to be going based on appearance of their store. They, they, want a, they want a nice storefront, albeit small or not. They want it to be very clean, very, um, I, I hate to use the word modern, but the only thing I can compare it to is as if you went into an Apple store. Um, it's simple. There's plenty of space. There's, there's minimal product out on the floor. And even in LA, a lot of people aren't even putting product out anymore as far as actual bud it's a menu and you select it they go in the back they bring it out it used to not be that way a lot of them had their bud containers right under the counter so you could check them out yourself that in general seems to be the major majority of what i see as far as marketing goes right now they try to have a good website and a, and a good appearance a good set of photos and i know you know that well too darbo but that's the most affordable and quickest way to get going as well as probably an e easy way to track success that hair we had our store open for a month and we sold x now we've got our website going and photos going up we've sold x times four this is working keep going but is it i don't know i i can't answer to that because i i'm not involved in the retail side of any of this i'm only out again let me qualify i'm outside looking in well the reason i'm saying that is that right now uh, on social media, we're seeing a plethora of cannabis companies, producers, processors, people doing packaging, whatever, that are now trying to do marketing. What I'm seeing from somebody who used to be in advertising, it's woefully in ineffective. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and, and if nothing else, I give Jim Belushi a, a for effort in trying to find something that would get out and get his name out there. And this is why, you know, it's real important for you to be on this is the fact that, okay, let's say I do wake up and I, I say, oh my God, 
I need to advertise. How does someone who has absolutely no background in marketing start doing effectively doing marketing? I mean, because that's the thing about it is people come to you to finish up either advertising or produce advertising. They have a background in the business and have eh, a semi-educated concept of how and where and who they want to reach. You know, I'm, I'm one of many people involved in that process and I'm, I'm actually, you know, further toward the end of it in the post-production and finish of a vision or a product that somebody wanted to get out there. And honestly, for me, I'm still, as you know, Jarbo, I'm, I'm still part of the old school business model. I do primarily broadcast television and that model has been you make a television show and the idea of that television show is to sell ad space so you can sell cars, beer, toilet paper, and detergent. And that drives the budgets of the shows the next time around specifically based on ratings. And the ratings are specifically based on how many people were watching that show. Um, as far as the streaming services go, I'm still kind of under, trying to understand how they monetize uh, let's say a Hulu original program that somebody's paying 12 bucks a month for their subscription and they're not getting any advertising into that. How does a detergent company monetize unique ads on that? Plus how do they make them? I, I, you know, in my world, ads are a minute longer, 30 seconds long. Now they're 15 seconds on the streamers with an option in seven seconds to skip it. So it's amazing how unless you have a unique impact within seven seconds, you're probably going to get skipped and how that gets monetized. I have, I, I'm still, I, there's a big learning curve for me on that. I've been doing some research on it lately and starting to understand it more. And as obviously we move to more and more streaming platforms and less and less quote, you know, big four network broadcast platforms, that's going to become more and more apparent. I mean, for me, if I was, if somebody came to me and said, I want to make a commercial that's going on a show that's streaming, I would have that set first seven seconds be the most beautiful shots of my product, whether it be finished product or marijuana growing in the field with somehow getting the logo in and some super quick catchphrase that said, you want to buy this now. And that's, and then the rest of it is kind of fluff at that point. Um, I don't know if it'll work and I don't know if it's that much different than what you can drive on your own website. Well, but that, but this is the, the, the quandary here is, and, and maybe this is a, a bridge too far at this point, but we now have a, a thousands, I'd say, dare I say thousands of people in the cannabis business who have woke up in the last year because of COVID and a saturation of the market, realizing if they don't get their name, their word out, they're going to go away. I think what's going on here is this, okay, for one thing, cannabis discovered, oh my God, advertising and marketing. And then the second thing is, how does it fit in in that world? And let's say I did get to the point where I did come up with a concept and came, came to you do people in cannabis have in, any idea about what these campaigns cost? Because I think the realization is for a bunch of people is that, oh my God, I'm going to have to spend as much 
or more on marketing than I did getting equipment and actually making the product. That is correct. I would agree with you most. Plus, I'll add in that if they are, if they have been building their own websites or had someone else build it for and they're populating it themselves, that is a minute financial cost compared to what you would do to do a proper visual audio uh, multiple spot ad campaign, minute. And is this, oh gosh, one of these moments in the cannabis business where the, the realization that the marketing now is as much or more important than the product. I mean, I feel sorry for people who have gotten into cannabis in the last couple of years. It seems like every time they have a goalpost cleared, there's another taller goalpost. And I think the realization for a lot of people in cannabis is that it's going to turn out selling cannabis is going to be way harder than growing or making ever was. That's just open market competition. That's why there's 30 beer spots out there. That's why there's 15 different car spots out there. They're all trying to sell their product against the next guy and they're trying to differentiate any way they can. And you look at those companies and their advertising budgets are tremendous. I think that companies, maybe Canopy and Aurora, they were all into we can get enough funding and profit in order to do mass product advertising and, and then crush the competition. I don't know if it'll come to that. I think Constellation might be the people that can ease into that quickly because they already do a tremendous amount of ads and they just fold in a cannabis driven beverage at some point and that might work for them. But it's hard to say. I think there's a big gap, a big wealth gap for lack of a better term in that, that you have two or three top big ones and then way down the line, you have everybody else. I think it's also worth noting that you can throw out a lot of money at an ad campaign on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media platform you're you're wanting to do but there's also been a lot of things taken down in terms of what you can and can't post that you're just your money's held up well this is a part of the problem here i think we've kind of we realize that at this point most cannabis companies are not going to be able to do mainstream media but let's go back to what Abby was talking about. And what Abby is talking about, which is the arbitrary standards that seem to be on Facebook. And Facebook is, is one of the main platforms for people, uh, smaller cannabis companies to do av advertising. And Abby, maybe you can go into the, how much that we're going to have hoops that we're having to jump through to be able to place media on Facebook. Facebook has kind of set traps for um, companies that they see as uh, kind of on, on the edge. So especially during the election, um, we couldn't post anything with buds, the word cannabis, weed, pot, like none of those words, they were all considered red flags. So we had, I think it was like a picture of um, our new product, our CBDA uh, tincture and it got taken down and it wasn't even, it was just a picture of the bottle and it was CBD. So it was all legal. It was all just taken down because it was related to um, cannabis. With that being said, we've also had 
especially at the beginning of the year, um, we haven't had problems where we would post something and then it would be straight up bud and we would have no problems. Um, so it's been ebbing and flowing, but there are definitely keywords that you cannot have. Um, otherwise you will get, get flagged. Um, now, can I ask a question? This is specifically based on advertising, right? No, no, this is just organic media. We're not, we're not putting any money into these posts. So you're just putting this up on your page, your Facebook page or whatever. Yeah, and we don't you're promote get, it. We you're getting it. you're getting shot down because of word choice. Yes. I got put in Facebook jail for a week. I'm I'm happy to know that the First Amendment is alive and kicking in this country. It's not it's not on Facebook, uh, but I try to do a little marketing. You you're familiar with Columbia River Cannabis because you have uh, an association with it. Yep. Uh, they just had a new crop, right? I made the mistake of putting I-502 recreational cannabis and pictures of this year's bud. And it robo-botted me. I, you know, it was a robo-bot that uh, immediately flagged me. And I got a notice that for seven days, I couldn't post. So when that happens, does someone contact you and say, pull it down or we're nope. going to put you in jail? They just do it. They just do it. Now you wow. can appeal. And, but once again, you're appealing to a robot. Yeah. And so I have never been able to get out of it. I served my time. Believe it or not, the most cannabis friendly website is LinkedIn. So I, well, I think, I think that, I mean, that would lead me to a point again, where you got, you're going to have to be very cautious spending advertising or marketing money in this world. But also I think, that the smart marketing person is going to come up with a way to, and I'll use the Belushi show as, as a thing or, or better yet, let's use bong appetit. <clears throat> that was a socially culture show with marijuana in the background. So somehow you're going to have to create a way that the bud or the bottle or the marijuana is not pushed to the front but it's kind of in the back. If somebody is gonna market cannabis mainstream in this country, you're gonna to have to come up with creative ways to make it a background element, but still be able to get unique imprints on, oh yeah, I should try out Tennessee Homegrown. Does this one of these things where it's one of the, uh, a moment where we're just gonna to have to basically weed out excuse my language, <laughs> weed out a bunch of people. Because how many people have the capabilities of doing this? Three. <laughs> I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, we're doing a podcast. One thing, I, I wanted to do a podcast where we could talk about serious things. But the other thing, it was a marketing vehicle for Tennessee Homegrown. Tennessee Homegrown and, and Uppercut, we had a background in media and before we ever got into cannabis. And so I'm just curious, the people who, professionals that, that listen to us, realistically, how many of these people are gonna be able to pivot and actually do effective media? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see, because it will happen. It will have to happen, because there'll be companies or certain individuals that feel they're gonna need to do it in order to either get further ahead, maintain where they are, or try to you know, catch up with their competition. 
Abby, uh, we've been doing a bunch of diagnostics and you actually went in and started looking at the numbers about sponsored Facebook ads for cannabis. What did you find? Um, people are spending a lot of money, but their, their followers and their actual audience a lot of times is not real people, which makes me think they're buying their audience. Um, and really, I, I can't see how that converts into actual, actual dollars. Like Facebook, that's the big one. So mm -hmm. I guess what we're getting is that we can go in and buy ads on Facebook, but if we don't get something like somebody like Mark to do content that will drive the eyeballs, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're basically just pounding sand. So is this, is this just a world that is, uh, like I said, six months, 12 months, 18 months off where people start realizing if I don't have creative content, I can't get eyeballs. I think so. I think people are, especially with the right, like coronavirus and the rise in people shopping online. I think the realization has definitely hit um, that there's a need for um, marketing yourself outside of just a storefront. Um, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how, um, many companies will adapt by, by the end of the year or not even the end of the year, but by this time next year, how many will still be remaining? Because what I, what I think is most interesting about the, especially CBD industry is that there's no major players picked out yet. It's still a baby. I, I'm with you there, Abby. I think that I saw an interesting, um, uh, stat yesterday, uh, surprisingly enough through last year, and that includes, I believe that in included this holiday season, retail sales were actually up 2.4%, which I was noticeably surprised at. The amazing other side of that was online e-commerce sales were up 47.2%. So that is massive and I honestly don't see that going away and anybody that's ordering by you know purchasing through e-commerce is either on their phone or on a laptop or on a desktop I totally see what you're saying Jarbo that is this everybody take a break and see what happens next but I also think someone very savvy might be out there going now's the time to jump in as far as we got to get an online thing going in order to push our company. It still boils down to how creative that content is, is it? And will that content drive you there? I'm not so much suggesting to anybody take a break on this, but what the industry has to do as a whole is to try to figure this out because we have never been in a position to where we actively have to spend a lot of time and effort trying to pursue customers. Yes. And so the thing about it is, all right, like yourself, you do this big time. Is how much of a budget and how much customers would it take for you to decide to say, all right, I'm going to start trying to be able to work with cannabis companies to get them content that they can put out? Or is there going to have to be ad agencies what is going to what is the liaison between this huge amount of cannabis farmers and producers who now need messaging well i think there's two two approaches to it 
you you understand or you feel that you need a team of people to do this. You you need an ad agency, and then the ad agency has their form of people, and that includes writers, directors, salespeople, post-production, finish, creatives, talent booking. I mean, that that's full-blown, you know, and you're going to lay out a ton of money for one 30-second spot that if it sticks, then it'll be easier to make things on down the road. The second approach is what I learned years ago, the um, uh, Texas Beer Hall approach was uh, keep overhead low, sales high. So then you try to go with a small team of people that can accomplish a percentage of what a big team player could do, but have the impact that you need. I mean, I think, again, it starts separating out a big company from a boutique company. Well, but my whole point is, where do you start? I'm a cannabis company, right? I'm in in Iowa. I just grew me 12,000 pounds of what I think is the world's best high CBD cannabis. How, yeah. do, how does one, right, where right, do they go check, Write me an open check. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start talking to you. <laughs> no, but, no, no, but that's what I'm talking about is yeah, most people that are in, let's say, restaurant business or uh, the car business understand one thing. There's a whole group of advertisers and creative directors who've been doing that for decades. Right. That's, and that's what when you spend a, a lot of money, that's what you're paying for is that knowledge and that experience and, and that confidence and, and track record to get it. Now, let me go back to what Abby just said. This industry is a baby. So, so people, I, I think there, it's going to be few and far between of really experienced people that, under, that would have success in advertising cannabis. I've never seen a national advertise cannabis. I'm starting to see regional CBD spots and they're not very good. Well, but but that's what I'm saying. That but that's my point is is that transition to and and why I said maybe it's just too soon because we do not have enough people experienced in marketing cannabis now to be able to even put out a shingle and say hire me. The quandary that right now the industry is doing is who do I make the first phone call to? It's really young and really hard to tell what is coming up or what is next unless you have deep deep pockets then you know and you're going to blow some money you know you're 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 going to have to figure that you're only going to get a 50% gain on it or something unless it is successful there's no guarantee out there in any of this that'll work i think uh, oh my god to quote socrates uh, to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom so unless you really know what you're up against, I would I would err on the side of caution, and and I and I'm with you, Jarbo. I don't think it's a wait and see. I think it's uh, figured out. We are evidently now in the big pockets of money to blow part of the cannabis industry. Right, and and the earliest example of that is I don't know if you guys are aware, and I saw a blip about it. Is Martha Stewart now has a CBD product line? Her and Snoop. Her and Snoop, yeah. Um, so that money, there was big money spent on the celebrity name of that. 
there's marketing people involved in that who've made a decision on if we brand with Martha and Snoop, then we can estimate, almost guarantee it based on their experience probably, that we can sell X millions of dollars of this product. So we're gonna do ads that cost X millions minus to get the thing going. But deep pockets, that's big time deep pockets. But, but also to go back to what you said earlier, we don't know. They don't know. It's they don't know. And that's why none of those <laughs> that's why none of those ads are on television or on a streaming platform. I believe the ads are only on their own YouTube channels. Well, they're also do direct marketing. If you're a certain Correct. age, you got one of those emails that yeah. you know told me how my joints were gonna feel better than they felt in decades. Right. Um, exactly. But that's what I'm saying is, so this is the, the scary part of this industry. And, and it's one of the things, there's going to be a, some wonderful folks coming up from Mississippi tomorrow to visit us. And they want to do Mississippi homegrown, which is going to be a medical marijuana endeavor down in Mississippi since they passed. Wear your mask. <laughs> Wear your mask. But the big thing is, is, you know, to, you know, try to, when you sit down with these people is yes, you have X amount of dollars you're going to need for production, getting people in there, but you're going to have to market like a banshee once you have product. Correct. And I, and, and I just don't, and, and I don't really hear too many people talking about that. In fact, I have anybody here, Abby, you t heard anybody actually talking seriously about marketing and cannabis? No, it's it's not really a, a hot topic because I don't think really anyone knows how to do it. Well, uh, and I'll, I'll back that up, Abby, saying that my closest experience to this is watching Jarbo work, and he's a big marketing self-promoter of himself. He's up every day early. He works the boards, so he's covering social media. He's working his sales. He actually still makes personal deliveries of product, which is a marketing tool. And then he also does conventions where he's either speaking or him and his wife are setting up a booth. And I guarantee you in their heads, 80% of that effort is all based on marketing. Yes. There is the lo-fi cost-effective approach that, no, no pun intended here, but grassroots companies are going to need to start with. Doesn't mean it can't move up to something further yet. And I think part of this conversation, Jarbo, is you're exploring what to do next and wanting to see what you should do next. It, yeah. and, I think, and I think it's a big leap, you know, honestly. It is. Now, one of the things though we did do this whole period is, is that realization that um, the grassroots now, as far as the marketing, is probably as much or more important than ever. But this is the, the one of the things that I'm trying to get people to understand. You can't do one part of this. And that's what I think about a lot of the cannabis people think, is if I plug in money here, the sacks and the stacks are all gonna start, you know, taking care of themselves and they won't. It really, really is. And that's one thing that we're trying to get to people in the marketing. It is, oh God, I hate to say it. Uh, I'll use the industry term. It is a multi-pronged approach. Right. And it also becomes a lifestyle. I mean, if you're not yeah. willing to go out there, I mean, let's face it. There's a reason why you see all these companies 
and the spokesperson uh, who owns the company or started the company is out there, you know, shaking hands and showing up at things. And yeah. I, I really, maybe that's part of this whole realization. Well, I'll tell you, if I can throw just one thing I saw yesterday, I saw a whole report on uh, Cy Sterling, I believe his name was. Do you guys remember who he was? Yeah. The hair club for men guy. Yeah. And when he started his company, he was totally into, he had a problem himself and he was worried about going bald. And so he started a company and they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that was then, so that was big time money to produce and shoot a commercial and the producer of the commercial while they were making it said hey they had talent they had spokesperson they had everything he goes let's just shoot you the owner of the company as a plan b in case this doesn't work understand an advertising company said in case this doesn't work so they shot it with him at the end of the day, just did it real quick. And his catchphrase was, I'm not only the president, I'm a client. And then he held up a picture of himself bald. That's the one that worked. The first one failed and they ran the second one. And then he created a six decades old business out of it that his family is still doing well with. So that's where you get into, you know, exploring every avenue and every possibility because there is no guarantee. You just don't know what's going to work or not when you make that next leap. That, I think, is a wonderful place to basically wind this up because that was a healthy dose of reality. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, and, and that's how we're going to kind of wind it up, folks. I think, you know, I think a lot of you are realizing that you're going to have to, to start doing marketing, which means a little bit of media. And the thing about it is realize that it is a process. There are no quick, quick little things that you can do. You're not going to be able to write one check and get the results that you want. And multi-prong um, approach. Yes. Uh, was that, was that, um, was that a George Bush senior line? Oh, I, thought <laughs> I don't it was know. A I thought it was a step line. No, I thought um, was, no, I, I can't come up with anything like that. No way. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a metal band from the 80s, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably uh, true. So once again, folks, um, love for you that you tuned in. You're listening to us. Mark Step has his company, a media company. I think you ought to shout out where you are in case some people would like to ask you and hire you as a media consultant. Oh, well, thank you for the plug. Don't expect anything out of my website. <laughs> What's your website? Uppercutmedia.com. Okay. Abby, you have anything judicious to say? Uh, no, just thank you and everyone stay safe and have a happy new year. As always, folks, keep one eye on the weather and the others on the market. The Old Hemp Farmer and Full Contact Cannabis saying goodbye. <laughs> have fun. All right. Full Contact Cannabis is a Tennessee homegrown and Uppercut Media production. You can find Tennessee Homegrown on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website, tnhomegrown.com, for more background and information covered in our podcast. Full Contact Cannabis is created by Jarbo, the old hemp farmer. Audio recordist, Abby McCullough. Post-production services provided by Uppercut Media and can be reached at uppercutmedia.com. <laughs>